Welcome to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast brought to you by Legendary Gear, the game call company. That is legend by design. Hello folks, this is George Lynch and I'm coming to you at the end of the turkey season and uh, now is the time that you need to get ready for the fall. Now is the time to start practicing. Now is the time to start getting that shotgun out. Um, start getting acquainted with it. Start patterning the gun. We'll get into that. Very important. I mean, we do everything. We do. we pay money for decoys. We we work on calling. We buy expensive calls. We buy expensive blinds. Might even pay for a very expensive shotgun. And now you know how the shotgun shoots for you. And at the end of the day, when you, it's all about when you pull the what you know the final the closure to the event or whatever we're doing, the closure to the hunt is when you pull that trigger. And if you can't close the deal. It might not always be you. It's just something isn't right and set up in the set up in line for you. So we'll get talking about that as well. But now's the time. I mean, if you guys out there, if you're fishermen, it might be guys who are golfers. I'm a full-time hunter, man. I am. I think hunting 365 days a year. If it's not hunting whitetails and getting food plots and looking for new uh, spots, new stand locations. Um, Turkey hunting, like I said, turkey hunting was over, but come up for the fall with waterfowl season. And here's something that I want to tell you, especially for you young young guys out there, young pups, that um, now's the time, if you're in your state, now down in the south, it's probably been, you know, a little bit further along and progressed. But here in Iowa, we're definitely got fields that are established and what crops that they're going to raise and it's very important to me because those crops, you know, they rotate every year. But now's the time if you're looking for new spots or, you know, the, the spots that you had, you see what's being planted. Now's the time to scout, see where the corn's going to be. Um, in Michigan, we used to look a lot of the wheat fields. Wheat fields would be good. Um, we had early September hunting. Now, the wheat fields, you know, start harvesting early. And this will be a little trick if you want to. If you're in an area that has a lot of wheat, and I'm probably going to say more than northern uh, Midwest, but if you're in a state that does have a lot of, of winter wheat, and you're in a state that does have an early September season, um, even out in North Dakota, if you got uh, wheat fields, uh, barley fields, stuff like that that's being cut, when it's being cut early, earlier it seems like every year, whether the weather has changed, it's warmer earlier, but um, if, if your fields are cut, say by the 1st of August, and I'm going to tell you by September 1st, your fields are going to grow probably 8 to 10 inches in weeds and coming back with new growth. Um, now, there's a point of time that the wheat field is perfect for the geese, and that's usually after the first cutting, you give about four or five days, even the week, when the new green sprouts start coming up. That's what and if whatever wheat seed might be left on the ground, that's what the geese like to come in and, and pack and get. And so there's a good established time that before that gets too high and they kind of deter from that. So what I'm looking for, especially if I'm looking for wheat fields and say if you've got one that has um, been uh, harvested earlier, you know, get with the farmer and here's a trick that we used to do. Get with the farmer, if he's got, have him do another cutting and he can go out and do a mowing and go out there and do a two acre spot can cut an acre spot if he had but i like to cut a two acre spot and this is prime 
the prime, uh, I would say the prime experience or the prime setup would be um, wheat stubble that's border up to field corn. We used to love that. And what you want to do is you can cut a square, but you can cut a big oval and cut an oval about an acre and a half to two acres. Have it, have him come in and mow that spot. Or if he doesn't mind, you get to your equipment and go in and mow that spot. I'd say a, a week before the season starts and go in and I'm, I'll tell you that mow from up above is like a magnet when those geese that looks like fresh cutting and you're not planting anything you're just actually going in and mowing the the field right there you're not you're not knocking down um crop that's standing which is illegal you go in there and push standing cordon down or push beans down or, and even push the wheat but the wheat once it's been harvested um, it's basically the weeds that you're going in and, and basically doing a weed control, if you want to call it. It's no different than you had the grass field and you went out and mowed the grass and had the geese on a golf course. Um, anyway, I like to do that, and that becomes, it's just a huge drawing uh, thing. We did that, I'll never forget, uh, years ago and when I was guiding to Southern Michigan, uh, we had, and we, it was a great uh, service that we were for us out of Knudsen's and uh you know there's grounds and foils and zinc and myself and sabota guys we all guided together out of southern michigan and there used to be a a, a spot called lock Aaron, and uh, we had a water blind on that and it's kind of like in what you want to call the bay and uh, east of the bay actually excuse me north of the bay there was a, a field a winter wheat field and we went in it was bordered with uh standing corn and a lot of times, um, you know, it's hard to get geese when they get up in the morning to get the call from water back to water. But they would, you know, we'd be on that uh, south end of the lake and, and, and on the north end, the geese might roost. And when they come up, they're heading off. And a lot of times I would call in the water blind and the guys back behind us about 200, 300 yards was that mode. We'd mow that spot. Now we could get in that spot and just be in another killer is you could get just in the edge of that of that cut wheat and get into the higher wheat to put in your layout blinds and, and basically taking up the you know the shadowing and, and anything of height distinction sitting in the field works great a lot of times we'd work in a partnership we'd see a bunch of geese off there and i'd start calling sabota might not be able to see them i'd hit those geese and get them to turn and get those geese to work them and once they kind of did that arc around to try to make a circle behind us but as soon as they saw his setup and, and the, that cut wheat, they would just just bow and straight down they come. And they could pop into them. And those geese, once they shot into them, then I would start flagging and calling. And we'd have a lot of those geese jumping from them back over to us to get back on the water, kind of collect their thoughts or whatever you want to say. And then we would finish the village. And what a tag team that worked. Um, and what a great setup that was. You know, you definitely are you're, you're pounding the geese hard. Um, it's not a spot that you want to sit and, you know, continue. We, we had a, a process that it was three volleys and we were done. We let the people know. And, of course, singles never count or even a pair. But, you know, we have, if you got several hunters and you're sitting there and you got good groups, 8, 10, 12 geese coming in, that's a volley. If they can't shoot and they can't hit them, that's part of hunting. We get the second volley in as long as, honestly, three good uh, opportunities on the geese you know after that we pull it we don't even we're one shy two shy of a limit we'd uh pack her up and leave and, and save it for another day 
He just didn't win over pressure, but that tag team definitely worked good. So, you know, now's the time to get out there and start uh, recording, start uh, dropping pins at, at various, and as you're going around, um, Onyx maps, you know, whatever you use today, but start going and looking at what crops are being planted, and you'll get the jump start on a lot of guys. You know, guys, like I said, are thinking golfing or fishing, whatever it is. You know, the hardcore guys, you're going to go out there and you're going to start looking at this and start obtaining permission. And get that permission locked right up, whatever you got to do with that farmer. And it, and, and if you all possible, you know, I, I'm not one that uh, likes to pay money for leasing land and locking spots up for other people. But, you know, if it's in an area that's pretty heavily hunted or whatever, there's an old saying, you know, if you can work with a farmer and, and a, you know, 50, 100, 200 bucks, kind of lock it up for, you know, a certain time, as long as you're not, and if you're running a guide service, guys, please tell your farmer that you're running guide service out there, you got insurance, tell him that, uh, and, you know, and you make a deal with him. There's uh, one of the things I, when we started hunting geese years ago, and I went up to the first early season, late season they had, when I'd knock on a farmer's door and tell him I wanted to kill those, those, those uh, Canadian, those Canada geese out there, you know, they'd look at you and say, man, kill them all, you know, get rid of them. And we had places we could hunt all over. And then when guys, and we started getting the population and, and people started getting the idea of uh, starting a guide, and, and I, you know, I can't say, you know, I was guilty. I was, I was, I started guiding, but I was all upfront and honest with every farmer that we hunted on and guided on that, hey, we're going to run clients through here. Um, you can either pay him a set fee and uh, or I'll pay you for, you know, so much each time we hunt it. And usually a lot of times that'd be one fee of a hunter. So if you're taking four or five hunters and you're paying 150 each hunter, then the farmer gets 150 bucks each time. Sad part about the guide, and I will say this, it's ruined it because anybody who could run a call, halfway decent a call, go buy three or four dozen decoys and get some spots was guiding, trying to make money. And it's not really running a professional guide service, it's just hacks out there uh, hacking people. And then it starts getting dirty, and I've seen there in Michigan, especially on the western part of the state, I've gone over and guided uh, for a gentleman over there, and man, all of a sudden he was in a war with another guy, and you know, they would drive through each other's fields to kick geese up, and you know, it was a nightmare. And um, I don't know, it just it seems to, of course, it's everything in life. You put a dollar on it, it um, starts ruining everything. And I guess that's what kind of soured me and turned me off on guiding. Um, it just, it got to where everyone's doing it. It, it was got unprofessional. And with everybody out there and everybody banging the fields and locking fields up, putting clients, what it's doing, it's putting everyday pressure on there. It made it a lot harder for you, um, and especially in your spots, unless you had a really a hot spot and you left it there for you know i'm only going to hunt that three times this is a a honey hole but i'm only going to hunt it three times in that two weeks and get three good shots or shoots out of that and that's and that is the actually the right way to do it another sad thing is you'll have guys come in and cut you in and hunt your spots when you're not there it's just it just is a nightmare i enjoy today looking out uh, i might see less geese where i'm at here in this early season um, but I have more to myself. It's more time to relax and, and um, not putting so much pressure. It's about getting the young kids in there and, and enjoying. They gotta have success. 
it's got to be fun when they do it. It's not fun. I'm telling you right now, there's enough uh, things in the world to distract them. There's enough distractions in the world to draw them away from it. That isn't positive. It isn't good. So try to always make it positive. One thing that's cool about waterfowl, getting young kids in there, deer hunting is tough because you'll go out there and you got to be quiet. you got scent. you got everything to worry about. You go in a field with kids, you don't have to worry about uh, if someone's got walked all over this field. You don't have to worry about You can have talks. You have conversation. You learn so much about my kids and my daughters. My daughters would hunt with us, too. You learn so much about them, uh, listen about who their friends in schools. And, you know, sometimes you take their friends. You find out about their teachers. You find out about what's going on in the school all through waterfall. And you almost always seem to have action. And it kept the kids interested. And I'll tell you what, I... There's a lot of young kids that I took that got them established in waterfowl. They're hardcore waterfowl hunters today and um, take it to my grave. That's one of the things that I truly am proud of and truly proud of them. But anyway, when we talked about locking fields up and, and, and you know getting a game plan for the fall by noticing what crops are out there. And if you know, and also look, another thing, it's a good time. Um, we used to make homemade it looked like homemade hay bales, but it's the coolest thing in the world. If you got anybody who can tack weld, and, or if you can weld yourself, if there's a little shop that can weld, but I can, you can basically draw it up, and it, basically using half-inch re-rod, uh, cow panel, um, cattle panel, um, little uh, flat stock, a quarter-inch flat metal, even an eighth-inch might work, but probably about a quarter-inch uh, flat stock metal. You cut into little triangles. But you cut your re-rod. Basically, you're going to make a bind. It's four foot by eight, uh, four by four by eight, um, four foot high, four foot wide, eight foot wide. Um, what you do is you you take your re-rod, you tack four corners together, and to make each section, you're going to make each rectangle two squares. And what we did is we would um, tack weld uh, hold the pins on one. And then the holes on the on the other, so you could just take the pins and set them in the holes, and you could have then you could take them apart. You also on each uh, of the rods at the bottom, we, we extended at the corners probably three or four inches, so you could push it down into the ground, so the wind doesn't blow it away. But it was so easy. I mean, a lot of times you're driving your trailers out there, but once you put this together, then we took uh, fast grass or anything like that that you can uh, this grass that they make imitation grass what you do is you tie it on and you don't tie it on with it where it lays flat you want to turn it upside down and leave it in your yard put it out in the field but you can leave it in your backyard and what we did is we'd fast grass it put it upside down so the bush after the weather and the rain and everything comes it starts hanging down gets bushy you lay it the other way and it's just going to stay flat and, and then that can be get a sheen and but you want that bush and you want to get that weathered look so we'd start zip tying once we had the panels you'd zip tie, tie the, the the fast grass to it and you can also make it so when the hinge you could pull up on one side open it like a door to get back and forth in um works real good um one of the things we did on the back we extend uh, a roof that we came apart with a pin that had a re-rod that was now all this is tack welded and you just put those corner brackets in each corner to give integrity you put another middle rod in the four by four by eight uh, one uh, panel you put another rod in the middle and tack weld it to give it strength and then you put those little uh, flat stock 
metal brackets you, that you've welded and you stick them in the, each one in the corner tack weld it and what that does is gives integrity and gives the strength to that blind but i'm telling you what we killed a lot of geese out of those things they're definitely a lot cheaper than a 500 dollars blind and i'll tell you what you put them out there you can make them the size you want when you like i said if you want to move one you can go out there and you can pull them up you, you pull the panels that came out and you know one two three four sections five sections with the roof and you just lay them against the wall and the blind and and um you know it just takes a little effort ingenuity and uh, you're going to have one there's no blind that you could, it's going to beat it out there that you can get and the only thing you save is it's already put together but the cool thing about this thing it's strong it's uh, you can put your own gun holders in there um to make it which is important but you if you even want to make it higher you, that's another cool thing is I can adjust to make it, you know, instead of 48, you can make it 52 inches in height. Um, if you want a little bit more height in there and, and but that, you know, we, we'd go out there early, maybe a week or two before the season and just set these. Uh, you could, if and it's a big field, you could set two of them easily out in the field and two, uh, two sets of guys in two groups could hunt it. But they get used to that sitting out there and they think it's just one of the bales of hay it's sitting out there. But we used this for years, and you know, any of you guys interested in that, email me that, or you can get a hold of me. I can draw up the plans. It just, like I said, you just need to get you some of the the re rod, the cattle panel, the cattle panel, uh, some flat stock, and then have somebody who can who can tack, who can weld. And you've got your portable blinds. You can make two, three, four, and you could probably make them for a price cheaper than one big blind, you know, that you buy. So anyway. I'd like to take a brief pause to give a shout out to our sponsors, Apex Ammo, Domain Outdoor, G5 Broadheads, Killing Sticks, Lacrosse Footwear, Prime Archery, Rite, Sitka Gear, Stan Releases, Yeti, and my good and talented friend Brent Nadu, who wrote the music for our podcast. But it's good like that, you know, you can, what I'm trying to say is these fields that I'm looking at and getting set up on, I am looking already, I know where the crops are going to be, but I'm already looking for ways that I'm going to hunt them. You know, how I'm going to set up, where we're going to put the blind. And um, that's one of the things to think of. So start looking for those locations because, you know, my best advice to anybody out there in the early season is if you can stay away from the blinds out in the, in the middle of the field, if you can hunt edges and fingers and like the blind I told you if you want to set it in the, into a corner and set it in a fence row it works good for that and we'll hunt that fence row and later on you can move the blinds out before you hunt them and let them set out there a couple days let the geese get acquainted to them but try what I'm trying to say is don't show your your best hand at the beginning uh, you know I, I like to use full bodies I like to use the full bodies and and not in the big groups, 18, a dozen and a half, to be honest with you. When I was hunting the early season geese, we did real well with, with 18 and a dozen and a half decoys. Mostly uh, feeders and a couple centuries. Now you can, if you want, add a, a half dozen of uh, shells and just geese laying there. Because early season, you will have geese. I noticed geese that, that were flying into our wheat fields early. And this will be just before the season, but you'll watch them early in the morning and a lot of them will lay down while the others are feeding. So shells is a good thing to mix people, you know, going back to the basic, but there's nothing wrong throwing shells in there mixed with the, the, the feeders in a couple centuries. And I'd set those layers down out with my, you know, 
behind, if I could, probably some up, uh, upwind of my feeders. And then either try to hunt, you know, the tail off to the tail, make a little tail off to the side, you know, or you can set up if you if you just using a dozen and a half, you can get right into those shells. And um, a lot of times those geese, they'll see the geese laying there, but they'll they'll lock up on those feeders laying down in in, in the X right in front of you. Um, you know, when I'm using a dozen and a half, I, I really you know, it's, it's hard to hunt unless, like I said, hunting a fence row and everything. I'll taper them off and, and sit in that fence row. But, you know, try going less. And as the season goes, start adding more as you go and, and building up that group. And what I'm saying is I always want to use enough just to finish the job. And and if I hunt, and it's one of those hunts where they came in and, yeah, it was an easy kill. But a lot of times it's like using a 10-gauge shotgun to go rabbit hunting. You know, it was overkill. And uh, just kind of use what you need to take what you have to do and let the geese di- uh, dictate when I got to start moving and start adding to my spread. But, uh, you know, like I said, find these locations, get them locked up, start getting the blinds out, starting, you know, blinds that have to be fixed. Um, stuff that you got, you know, if you got strapping, it's stuff, you know, you want to work and clean in them. Um, I like to, you know, a lot of the material that we had in the old days was a, uh, it was um, more of a burlap type type of a material, so we used to mud our blinds and take it mud and uh, dirt and in a bucket and a, of a five gallon bucket with water, mix it, and take that mud and brush it on the blinds and let it dry, and then kind of whisk it, and it would give a, a dirt sheen to the blind. The problem with a lot of the blinds today, they use a poly something of nylon, more of a nylon material. So you can mud that blind, but as soon as it gets wet and washes, uh, it doesn't adhere. The, it doesn't, like Cordura, that's the name I was looking at. Cordura was more porous, and that was the best material. Our early uh, final approach blinds when they came out and they had the Cordura material. The Cordura was, uh, it was just great, and you could mud the blinds up. I think you had better concealment to them. But, uh, you know, clean, get everything clean. Decoys is another thing. Uh, all those decoys, if you got any motion decoys, any of the decoys have broken stakes and stuff like that, now's the time to get rid of all that stuff in your trailer. Go through, do your inventories, um, kind of examine what you what you got, what you need to get rid of. Um, if decoys need to be cleaned, now's the time to do it. If, de- if decoy heads need to be flocked, you know, there's so much that right now, because uh, you don't want to be doing this when the season comes, because when the season comes, you want to now the crops are harvested and everything else. You want to start getting set up and start your scouting and finding the birds and hunting. So make sure that you're you're working on that. And now, you know, the, we're talking about decoys. Um, another thing, water. If you're if you're looking at a spot where you're hunting water, you know, look at your floaters, take an inventory of floaters. Um, Check your weights, everything. Just go through your inventory, make sure everything's good. Now's a good time to to take an inventory of what you got in, in shots, shells, shotgun shells that you can use, whatever brand, whatever you're using. You know, make take inventory. Make sure you always know what you got. Make sure that everything's put away in the draft. I'm one of those. The reason I'm saying, guy, I'm one of those guys that at the end of the year I got stuff spread spread all over the place. I got my uh, spinning wings decor uh, spinning wings for ducks i got maybe the duck over here the pole somewhere else and and in my house and in, in the in my drawer i got the remotes 
So now's the time to get find you a spot, get everything organized, get everything kept. Because when the hunting season comes, buddy, it's going to be grab ass and go. So it's a good time to do that. Now we'll get down to what I think, besides the calling, we're going to do that in, in another podcast about the calling. But what I'll do right now is I'm, one of the important things to me is shotgun shooting. And uh, like I said, this is the closure. This is the thing that, that puts the... The period, the exclamation mark, boom, on the hunt, puts a stamp on the hunt, is pulling that trigger. Everything that leads up to that is part of the hunt of getting it in. Now you need to finish the deal. You need to put the bat on the ball, and that takes practice with the swing, getting the hand and eye coordination. Well, that's the same thing with the shotgun. And the number one thing, doesn't matter what shotgun you shoot. I've some of the best game shots I've hunted with, and I've hunted with some good ones. You know, we're hunting with 3-inch 12-gauge. Back in the day, we were shooting the 10 gauge and every, you know, three and a half, 12. Everybody was out with that three and a half, 12, and that first came out, and you know, you couldn't kill a goose unless it was a three and a half, 12 or a 10 gauge. And I seen guys out there, and this was before the the new loads and non-toxic loads, where guys are shooting 20 gauge and have that TSS and having that extra power to hit it and knock it down. This is the days when guys were still shooting fast steel and still. You know, crunching the goose, and, and you didn't need if you're shooting them in the lips and shooting them in the head, you didn't need all that penetration, you know, getting through because these guys are head shooting them. And uh, it, you know, it's it doesn't matter how big and how many BBs you're shooting, if the BBs don't go where you're looking, it's just wasted shot. And uh, we're going to go through that. So the important thing is to get out there and get you a pattern board and get you a good piece of plywood, um, set it up. You can do some any way you want to make a, a shooting board, get it up. But I would recommend a good old piece of plywood. And I like something about, oh, four foot by four foot. So, you know, when I'm getting back 20, 30, 40 yards when I'm shooting the pattern, my loads, and seeing what I'm doing, because it's all, you know, I want to know what's coming out of my gun and what, what it's doing. It makes a total difference when I'm out there shooting. And, <coughs> excuse me, if I'm shooting something that shoots right on for me, this is what's important, and if I happen to be out there, and I know this gun's right on, I know this load, I've shot and shot, and I've had a lot of success, and when it does come, you know, everybody has it, you have that shot that you miss, I know what it makes me do is focus more on how I missed, you know, in, in 90% of the time, because if we're filming, I'm hunting with that lanyard with all the bands, I, it's because I didn't get the, the gun shouldered uh, to a square to a square hole, to a square spot on the face, down the barrel, you know, it was a bad, it was how I put the gun, the bow, or excuse me, the bow, the gun, it was how I, it matters how I put the gun, shoulder that gun to get a square feet or fit, so you're looking right down that barrel. So one of the things you want to do, and the neat thing about a lot of the guns today, they have shim, shim kits that come with it and, and pitch and cast, so you can change the height up and down, and you can change the cast right or left. That's important because back in, Back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I'd have to take my gun to the gunsmith. I would shoot that gun. It doesn't mean it's a bad gun. Not every gun is made for everybody. Everybody's face is different. Everybody's length of pull is different. So, you know, I'd go in there, and what I'm doing is throwing that gun up. And because I wing shoot and I shoot with both eyes open, what I like to do is when I shoulder that gun, I always want to make sure that I got... A good shoulder and it comes up and it's one motion for me it's not a two-step motion it's one motion when I come up that I like to put that butt of my gun right up to, uh, to my under my cheekbone 
So what that does, it puts that rail pretty much right underneath my dominant eye. And, um, and that's another thing that I'll go over real quick that, uh, you know, whether right-handed or left-handed, you could be right-handed when you're doing things, but you need to know what dominant eye you are. An easy way to do that, and probably a lot of guys have already done this, but take your right, right hand, left hand, put the, your forefinger and your thumbs together, and you're going to make kind of like a tear duct. Pick an object out there in front of you. Put the object with both eyes open in the center of your tear duct. Close one eye and, you know, then close the other. And if you close one eye and that is in the center, then that means you're that eye dominant. If you close the other one and open the other one and it's off, you know, if I do with my right eye, my, usually my right eye is dominant. So I want to be a kind of a right-hand shooter. That's a good thing, another thing to check before, you know, you know what kind of shotgun and what side of the shotgun you should be shooting. But uh, what I'll do is I'll shoulder that gun right up, both eyes open, and I'll be on that dot, you know, at 30 yards, 20 yards, wherever you want to put it. I'll put that dot and I'll come up there. And when I'm on that dot, it's shooting instinctive. But when I'm feel, I'm right there on that dot, I'll pull that trigger. And that's where I want to see where my shot is going. And that's how we start determining uh, moving that cast and moving that shim till I get when I yank up that gun. Because that's what I'm doing on a bird when a bird comes up. And that gun is shooting right where I shoulder and point. I'm, gonna, I'm telling you, it's going to increase your success over and over. So it's very important. Take that gun, and I don't know how many of you guys do that, but pattern that gun, get the fit to it. Once you've got the fit and, uh, you know, if you're using the factory chokes, another good thing is, you know, if you're looking at an aftermarket choke, kind of do your homework, find out from people that make the aftermarket chokes. Because um, one thing I was always told, guns, gun makers make guns. They're not actually a choke maker. They are good at making guns. They make chokes for their guns. An actual choke maker, you know, he's done his homework. He does a little bit. He puts more design and more effort into those customized chokes. And I would pick out whoever, you know, you do your homework. But uh, give that choke maker a call. Ask him, tell him what gun you're shooting. Tell him what, uh, what you're hunting, what loads that uh, you'd like to shoot and try. But you can talk to him and he'll tell you for your gun what choke that he would recommend and what distance what you want to shoot. If... Uh, and he'll tell you what patterns or what shot probably works the best. But I would try, you know, at least two and three would be nice, uh, three different types of uh, brand of ammo through my gun just to see what I'm looking for and understand that shot, it comes out in a string. But what I'm looking for is density in my pattern. I don't want open holes. I don't want big, you know, if it shoots and hits that board and I got a clump here and a clump over there and clump, that means I have open spots. I like to shoot and I will shoot uh, uh, the shell. It doesn't matter what shell it does. It could be the cheaper brand of shell, but I want a shell that I'm shooting that patterns. And I look and there's basically a, a center pattern in my dot, but I have density and I don't have open holes. And once I have that, and once everything comes together, and now's the time to take that and start shooting a little bit of trap and or sporting clays, whatever you want to do. But get get fit with that gun. Um, an old Cajun once told me, he says, beware of the man who shows up with one gun. And that's the guy who knows how to shoot that gun. He's familiar with it. So we also, what we used to do, you know, you can do your trap shooting always constantly i would put a mag light in the end of my barrel and then watching tv 
and of course the gun's unloaded, but I would always constantly practice my shoulder and I would pick that horizontal line up on where the ceiling and the wall connect and I with that mag light turn it on you come up and I'd hit that see where my lights hitting and I'd swing that light across that and practice swinging and uh, trying to get my swing so it was perfectly straight and just getting the feel where it's just like take a swinging batting you know you're, you're you're just swinging and you're practicing your 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 stance you're practicing getting the feel you're hitting off a tee you know you just want to get that feel of contact and and swinging through and that's basically what i'm doing with my shotgun and uh, that's why i always say that practice don't make perfect perfect practice makes perfect and then uh, you know on another good thing to do is get in your layout blind and, and somebody has a clay, a clay pigeon thrower you know, we do side shots getting up. Uh, you can have somebody, you know, come off from the side. You can shoot, um, you know, have some that may be off an angle, but he shoots where they come above you, flight where they hold above, and shoot them as they're coming down. Just Then what we do is let them float down just like we were shooting ducks. So all that is as close as you can get. Like I said, you want to be able that, uh, you know, practice is done before we're in the field because field, it's game time. So this is all things that, uh, you know, I want to get with, I would start doing now, especially you serious guys. This is what I'd start doing. And the only thing I'll start working on, and I'll talk in another podcast here, is the uh, working on the calls and, and what, what, what sounds and what I'd be working and practicing on and working on that through the summer. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. I'm trying to give you my best tips, things that I've done for years, anybody interested in that blind verse talking about, give me a shout. Uh, it's G-E-O-D Lynch at gmail.com is my email. You can reach out. You can t- uh, call me, 603-558-0359 if you want to talk, text. Um, we can FaceTime and call in. But anything I can do, if you like this, please subscribe. Um, like it. Subscribe. Get your buddies in on it. Anything that you'd like me to cover, any type of product you want to talk about, you know, email me that. We'll do that on a podcast and talk about it. But uh, hope you enjoyed this. And as always, remember, hunt safe, hunt smart, and may the good Lord be your guide. Take care, guys. Well, I'll be out there, rain is shining, all a part of the great design. Bring it on, I can never get enough. Cause that's what legends are made of